the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. This is All About Grants. Hello, and welcome to another virtual edition of NIH's All About Grants podcast. I'm your host, David Kossip, with the NIH's Office of Extramural Research. And today, we're going to be talking all about the timelines associated with preparing your application. Uh, and I'm glad to say that we have two of my OER colleagues with us from the Office of Policy for Extramural Research Administration. Uh, we have Avery Tucker. She's with the Division of Grants Policy. And we also have Cosma Garst. She's with the Systems Policy Branch. And I welcome you both to the show. Thanks, David. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Um, can you tell us about the funding cycle in general? Sure, yeah, I can take that to go ahead and start. Um, so just for reference, we do have um, some pretty good information on our grants process overview on the grants.nih.gov website. Um, but just to take a step back um, at a high level, um, you're gonna want to allow about six to eight weeks before submission to prepare your application for grant funding. And then once your application is prepared, um, it's then submitted um, and it goes to something called referral and review. So um, we'll receive the application and refer it about one month after submission. And then the peer review process will begin between two and eight months after submission. So NIH has a two-stage peer review. Um, it's that first receipt and referral, and then um, the actual rigorous um, second stage review carried out by a um, non-federal scientist panel, um, and then a advisory council or board. And then once um, all of that happens, um, we begin the pre-award um, and award process itself, which happens about seven to 10 months after submission. Well, let's unpackage a lot of what you just talked about there. Um, so that FOA, it just came out. I saw it. I'm excited about it. I want to apply. How, how should I be thinking about that, right, when I see that FOA out there? Great question. So the funding opportunity announcements that NIH posts have a lot of information in them. You're going to want to take a look at some of the key elements in the FOA, such as the key dates for submission, um, all eligibility information. We have organizational eligibility as well as individual eligibility. You're going to want to take a look at the award information, such as the number of support years in the project period, as well as any budget caps that might be in place. Um, you want to look at all of the required application instructions, um, as well as any review criteria. Um, and I think, Cosima, you want to add anything else about what is important to look at in the FOA? Right. So as Avery mentioned, um, there are lots of information within the entire FOA itself. Um, and it's really critical that we also take a look at sections like the related notices in part one, where you're going to see those critical um, note guide notices related to key policy changes or changes to the FOA itself, such as when a new participating IC may sign on to that FOA after the initial publication. Um, and you'll also see really those uh, within section four required application instructions. So not only are you referring to the uh, application guide itself, but you're also going to be referring to those really funding opportunity announcement specific application instructions within section four. So those are just some examples and of the information that you'll see all the way throughout. And, and I should tell our listeners, sometimes we had juggle with different names for the same thing, FOA, FOA, Funding Opportunity Announcement, all the same thing. Um, so 
I guess continuing on with this, uh, you know, many folks know we have R01s, you know, we have R21s, we have T grants, we have F grants, you name it. Are they all on the same timeline? Sure, great question. So um, no, actually, we do, um, like I mentioned in the first question, we have a really handy chart at grants.nih.gov that goes over the standard due dates um, for different activity codes. We generally review in three different cycles, um, one generally at the beginning of the year, one mid-year, and one towards the end of the fiscal year. And all of these dates will be mentioned in part one overview of the funding opportunity announcement itself. Um, just some additional things to keep in mind. These dates can be different for AIDS and um, non-AIDS submissions. So depending on whether your application is related to AIDS, it may have a different um, review and award cycle. Um, I also just want to mention that um, key dates and um, application types are important to pay attention to because there are different dates for different um, types of applications, such as renewals and resubmissions and revisions. Um, these dates may be different than if you are submitting a new application for the first time. I also wanted to mention um, there are some applications that are on an expedited basis, such as if the award is for an emergency or a disaster, and that will all be mentioned uh, within the funding opportunity itself. Um, once again, should be um, pretty easily easy to find in the key date section. Um, and if you have an application that is late, we do have a standard late application policy that you can find information on the website as well about. Definitely a lot of dates uh, to keep in mind. So check out, make sure you read the, read those parts of the funding opportunity announcement. Uh, make sure you're following it. And kind of jumping back to one of the things at the beginning, you mentioned peer review or, or peer review process. Um, you know, after someone has gone through all the application process and submitted it, you know, what are they, what's, what's the timeline or the process like for that, um, the timeline for the peer review process? Right, so just to restate, um, the peer review process begins usually between two and eight months after the application is submitted, depending on the submission date. Um, so our NIH peer review is a two-stage process. The first is carried out by a scientific review group or an SRG, and these are folks that are primarily non-federal scientists who have expertise in relevant scientific disciplines and current research areas. Um, and then the second level of review that we have is performed by the Institute or Center's um, National Advisory Council or board. Um, so these two reviews, the first happens um, usually about two months after um, submission, and then the second council review is later on in the process. Is there anything else going on behind the scenes when my application is submitted? Absolutely. So um, jumping in here, the uh, first thing that's happening as you're trying to submit that application is it's undergoing system validations. Now it's undergoing first validations related to grants.gov, um, since that is the actual submission portal through which all the applications are routed to NIH. So they're going to be validating things that are at more of that Fed-wide level or the form level, such as whether or not the submitter has the appropriate authorized organizational representative role to actually submit that application on behalf of an applicant organization, whether that FO, that funding opportunity is actually active, um, as well as the application package is, is open and active for use. Then the application is going to go through ERA system validations uh, here with at, at NIH. So these are going to be those agency system validations that are going to be really specific to the needs of NIH. Um, so, for example, we validate for things like the valid ERA Commons credentials or Commons ID for the PDPI. 
as well as biosketches being attached to the application for senior key personnel. And then also other specific agency required attachments are provided. Um, things that may not be um, enforced at a Fed-wide level, but they're specific for NIH. After that, um, there is going to be a, um, and you pass all of the uh, errors, uh, submit that error-free application through, uh, through to NIH. Uh, the application enters a two-day viewing window. This is an opportunity for the applicant to get a final look at that assembled application before it automatically moves forward for further processing. During this time period, signing officials for the organization can reject the application during this window. And as long as um, you are uh, submitting before the due date, you can submit a change corrected application during that time. Um, this two day viewing window is particularly critical. We have certainly seen cases in the past where um, we've received uh, cranberry margarita recipes as well <laughs> as children's homework. So we certainly advise that you make sure that that application looks as you expected um, because that is what your reviewers are gonna see as part of their review of your application. And then after it's moved on for further processing, it's then going to enter a phase where agency staff are actually going to review that application. So they're going to check to make sure that it's on time. They're going to make sure that you're not overstuffing and that you've pr provided all the required application materials. Um, and receipt and referral officers are also then going to process and assign the to the correct study section and institute and center at NIH. Well, you kept that cranberry margarita recipe because uh, I could use one um, <laughs> after hearing all these timelines. Um, so, you know, so the application was submitted. It went through peer review. It got through all those validations that Costco just went through. Um, is there anything related to timelines that we should be thinking about, you know, as it comes to just in time or administrative reviews, you know, that for applications that have made it almost to the funding point? Right, yeah. So for those who may not be familiar, um, NIH uses what's called just-in-time procedures for certain programs and awards um, that allow for folks to submit information um, for review when the application is considered for funding um, after it's been submitted and reviewed. So the standard elements of just-in-time or JIT um, are other support submission, uh, certification of IRB or Institutional Review Board approval for when you're using human subjects on the award, um, similar certification for IACUC approval um, when you're using live vertebrate animals, um, and stuff like evidence of compliance with um, education and protection of human research participants requirements. So all that information um, is requested from the applicant um, at the time post-council and while um, the IC that has been assigned as performing its administrative review. Um, Cosima, could you talk a little bit about how folks are contacted? Absolutely. So applicants have the opportunity to submit JIT through the ERA Commons. Um, they, there's a link that will be available within the status section of the ERA Commons module. And an automatic email is sent to um, applicants with impact scores of 30 or less. This is a pretty broad range of applicants that will receive this automatic notification and that link becoming available, um, not all of which will be selected for funding. So while applicants have the technical ability to submit the JIT materials, as soon as that link becomes available, applicants may want to wait until um, they are contacted by NIH staff to actually submit those materials in case there's maybe any other additional items that they want to provide. 
Right. So if I could just add as well, um, you know, we're talking about timelines here in application submission. Um, there really isn't a formal timeline for just-in-time review. It really does depend on the complexity of the information that's submitted. For example, if um, there needs to be supplemental information submitted on other support, or if your institution does not yet have IRB or IACUC approval that's needed, the IC is really going to need to um, negotiate and take its time in making sure that all that information is accurate and and receive before the work on the actual award can begin and the notice of award is issued. So that was a lot of information for these timelines that we need to be thinking about. I mean, um, can y'all provide some like, you know, common delays or pitfalls that you've seen that people have gone through that you would potentially have people avoid or be aware of? Yeah, so I think that some of the biggest, you know, pitfalls that applicants may run into are really not reading that funding opportunity announcement in detail, not understanding um, the, the grants policy statement and related notices that are included in that funding opportunity announcement. Um, and following all of the application instructions. So really it's understanding the details, the requirements, the, the instructions, the limits, right? You know, all that information that is contained within the funding opportunity announcement, our grants policy statement and the application guide. Um, and of course, you know, so not starting early enough. We really have always encouraged applicants to ensure that they start the process early especially if they are new to applying to NIH because there are institutional and individual level registrations that are required, for example, in grants.gov, ERA Commons, um, et cetera. And so they, they really need to, to do that as early as possible, right? And particularly for those systems that are outside of NIH, like SAM.gov and grants.gov. So we like to say that, um, you know, early is measured on a calendar and not a clock. So it's really important <laughs> that you start the process as early as possible and, you know, really just to make sure that you have enough time as an applicant to get in a complete and, and good application to give you the best adv advantage as um, part of the review and award uh, consideration process. Thank you for that, Cosima. Um, before we close, um, I would like to give guests an opportunity to say any final thoughts. Is there anything that either of y'all would like to share um, with our audience about the timelines for, for preparing an application that we haven't hit on before or to reiterate another point you've made earlier? Sure. So Cosima just said it, but I'd like to reiterate it again. Uh, start reading and applying early and become very familiar with the funding opportunity announcement itself. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times we get an email at 6 p.m. the night before an application is due that that there's a some type of error that the applicant can't figure out. And we, um, you know, have to scramble to try and get that resolved before um, the application itself is due. So, so really, um, if I could leave you with one thing, it would be um, apply early start the application process early and really become familiar with the actual text and requirements within the FOA itself. And I'll also add to, you know, familiarize yourself with the um, agency contacts within section seven of the funding opportunity announcement. Um, that's where you'll find, you know, that critical contact information, particularly service desk support, um, program and grants management points of contact for the awarding IC. Um, and it's really going to be critical, especially if you are experiencing application submissions issues to reach out to the ERA service desk to document the challenges that you're facing um, and that good faith effort to get those technical issues resolved. Uh, more information on that can be found on our OER webpage. Um, 
you know, lots of great resources, trainings, and, you know, um, previous recordings of webinars and trainings that we've offered for applicants, um, as well as the ERA webpage as well for information about application submission. You can add this podcast to all that list as well. Thank you very much, <laughs> Avery and Cosmo, for this uh, opportunity to hear more about, you know, what we should be thinking about as we're preparing our application as it relates to the timelines. And I'll reiterate uh, what Cosmo said as well. You know, go check out our website. We, um, on the OER, Office of Extramural Research website, there's a lot of information there. Um, this has been David Cosmo with NIH's All About Grants. Thank you. <laughs>